Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet. I'm the mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher for 20 plus years, a homeschooler now, and a writer. Welcome to the first episode of season two. I know. Can you believe this? Season two? Season two. Look at us go. I know. Happy New Year. It's a new year, new you? Yeah, of course, right? Some of the things I started in 2020 are really exciting, and so I'm going to keep those going in 2021, and that's basically it. Um, I did make a really important resolution, and I'm not doing well with it, but um, I'm trying. I'm trying to avoid the news. Because by the end of 2020, not totally avoid it, but by the end of 2020, it was like, because it was sort of like you had to log in to see if the world was going to blow up that day before you knew what to wear, at least for me. Because like, if the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I want to be wearing sweats. I don't want like a waistband. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) It's my own own need. So um, that's just how I roll. And I want sensible shoes if I have to outrun zombies. So I felt like Apple News would tell me what to wear that way. They didn't always. So I usually just made the choice to go with elastic waistbands myself. But anyway, so I would like immediately wake up, roll over, and that would be the first thing I'd do. Like I'd grab my phone and I'd scroll over to the news. And that's so unhealthy because then all day I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, is this it? Is this it? It's like, what's going to happen? And then I'd have to keep going back to see what happened from that like morning news briefing. I'm like, okay, did things get worse? Okay. Things, I mean, obviously things always get worse. This is America in 2020. Thank you. Um, so hopefully in 2021, I won't know. I did it this morning. I, this morning, I'm like two days in and I did. I've done it twice. I didn't like, I didn't go look at the news. Right. You know, I have my undergrad in journalism and I'm sort of a news junkie, but I agree with you. Like over the week between Christmas and New Year's, I said, I'm just not going to look at it. I'm not, I don't care. <laughs> We're fine in our little house. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and it was very relaxing, I have to say. You're right. And it probably is bad to fill your head with all that crap first thing in first the morning. First thing in the morning. Exactly what I do too. I mean, I get up and I read all my different newspapers on my phone and And you bust your Zen before you even get a chance. And PS, no one should handle anything about politics without coffee. I'm just saying. I mean, definitely some coffee with booze in it too. Oh my God. PS, my neighbor made me some fabulous Bailey's Irish cream and I'm hoarding it in the fridge and my husband's like oh what is that I'm like you wouldn't like it it's coffee creamer (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's awesome so because he's like your your coffee creamer kind of smells like whiskey I'm like nah I don't know must be aspartame or something (laughs) (laughs) why are you having coffee at four o'clock in the afternoon I just need to pick me up But it was good because she went heavy on the on the whiskey. It's uh, it's a lot of uh, Irish less cream. That's the advantage of living in Boston. Hello, I have a good friend of mine, and when we have a party or something, and he, I give him coffee. He's like, "Could you Irish that up a little bit for me, please?" <laughs> That's just how we say it. We were talking about that though over Christmas, and I was having an Irish coffee, and my kids were asking me what it was, and I'm like, "You know what? Growing up in a very Irish Catholic family, had no idea that everyone else didn't have their Christmas coffee that way." I just thought that everybody did. I thought it was a thing. No, it was just Grandma McCarty's world. <laughs> Honestly, everyone should do it, though. It'd make everyone much happier. Especially this year. Woo! I have to say, the nice thing about cutting out some news time is that I had more time to read. I was kind of reluctant to pick up our books this week. I'm like, oh. Really? Well, because sometimes middle grade topics are really heavy and I get so anxious and these are heavy, but even the one I was like, Oh, do I keep reading? Do I keep reading? I was getting super anxious about one of our books. And then I was like, 
okay, you know, it's going to happen. P.S. You already know what's going to happen. And then, and then the other one I got all anxious about and I'm like, okay, this is a book for 12 year olds. You can handle this girl. No one's getting their head sliced off. Okay. Anyway, so let's start it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. So we'll be talking about the miscalculations of lightning girl by Stacey McAnulty and planet earth is blue by Nicole Pantelikos. She's a good Greek girl. And I practice saying her name. Hard one to say. Yeah. Pantelikos. I said it like 10 times this morning. Make sure I got it right. Because we're pretty bad at pronouncing people's names. And I felt like, okay, that's something we could probably do better in season two. I know. And of course, you know, like I have children with weirdo Turkish names. I should be better at this. All right. So let's get started. All right, so let's start first with Lightning Girl because it's an amazing book. It's just just that. Like it's an amazing book. And this is one of those again, I judged it by its cover. I put this on our list for uh Christmas picks for middle graders or holiday book shopping guide or whatever because I found it and I hadn't read it yet, but I thought it sounded like such a great concept that I really, really wanted to read it. And then we can save our all of our weepiness and our eighties flashbacks because the other one, Hello, Planet Earth is blue. And I can't stop singing that song. I've been singing David Bowie every time I look at Planet Earth is blue and there's nothing I can do. Thank you. David Bowie is now rolling in his grave. Do we have to pay the rights <laughs> for that song now that I just sang Probably. it? Probably. <laughs> I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about it. Tell us about it. Tell us about Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. Yes. Okay. The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl is by Stacey McAnulty, who, by the way, is a dog person. So I already love her. She does picture books too, right? Yeah. She's got about 20 books for ki- younger kids, but this is her first um, novel and she's a former engineer. So that's super cool. We love ladies in STEM. God bless her husband or wife, whatever her spouse is. Oh yeah. You're married to an engineer. I forgot. Yeah. There should be a support group for all of us married to engineers just saying. So this is her first novel, Miscalculations of Lightning Girls, her first novel, and it's about a North Carolina seventh grader named Lucy who was struck by lightning when she was young. What an awesome concept. I mean, it's not awesome that she was struck by lightning, but the concept is so brilliant. And we learn it like right up front in the first page, which is really sucks you right into the story. So then she, because she was struck by lightning, she was diagnosed with acquired savant syndrome, which I haven't looked this up yet, but I think this is kind of fascinating thing to learn more about. And it made her a math genius. It rewired her brain. And then she could math just like she could see numbers everywhere. Numbers are have color and all this like really vibrant in her brain, which is really cool. And she's been homeschooling since uh, she had this accident. And she's basically on her own advanced her education in math to pretty much college level. Um, But her grandmother, who she lives with, is we're starting to worry about her social skills, which is a pretty typical homeschooling parents yeah. worry, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> and so her grandmother insists that Lucy spends at least one year in middle school before moving on to high school or college level. Just terrible. That's literally like saying you need to go to prison for a year so you understand life. What a horrible thing. I know. I really felt for Lucy on this one, especially because she was doing so well, like learning online and she had her little online community and everything. And I was like, oh, come on, grandma. I know. And <laughs> as someone who has spent like 25 years, including my own time in, in middle school, I can say no good comes of this. There's no <laughs> reason to go to middle school. I mean, ugh. anybody that can avoid it should avoid it. P.S. <laughs> her grandmother, though, and her defense, I mean, basically, she wants to know that Lucy's going to be okay because she 
around people because Lucy also has some OCD issues. <laughs> Just so adorable. That come from the lightning strike, you know, also. So she has to tap her toe three times when she enters a room. She has to sit, stand sit three times before she can sit in a chair. She's also a germaphobe who's addicted to dis- disinfectant wipes. It's a great idea now. I mean, this book was came out in 2018. So obviously the author had no clue that we would be low on wipes. And, you know, back in 2018, we're all swimming in them. So it would have been interesting in 2020 if she couldn't find them. So anyway, Lucy makes the deal with her grandmother that she will spend a year in middle school thinking that then she'll be allowed to kind of move on. So she basically adopts this attitude that appears on the teaser on the cover of the book, which says, if you can survive a bolt of lightning, you can survive middle school, right? And like we were saying, anyone who's been to middle school knows why there's a question mark on the end of that. (laughs) I'd rather take a bolt of lightning, I think. So the rest of the book is just basic. Basically, Lucy negotiating friendships, finding ways to fit in. Um, She gets to use math to help some dogs at a shelter, which is a really great story. It's a fun book, a great ending, great, great ending. I love the ending of this book, but I won't give spoilers. So this book has wonderful reviews. It's won several awards. It's definitely worth a read. I think it would appeal to a boy or girl. Doesn't matter because it's got such cool stories going on in it. And also, I just think it's important to get the perspective of someone who's differently abled. I mean, to really understand someone else's struggles and develop empathy for others. I think this book really is a great story and serves an important purpose. That's that's huge right there. But I think that why this book is so important to be read is that we always read a book. Everybody struggles in math. Everybody struggles in math. Math is so hard. We all hate math, blah, 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 blah. Math is probably like the most misunderstood topic in the universe, right? Right. And God knows it is in my world. It, it used to be now that I'm like uh, very accomplished at seventh grade algebra, thanks to a couple of years in it, the last couple of years I was in algebra and I finally got it in my late, late forties. I finally understand seventh grade math. Um, I still get nervous. Math anxiety is a real thing. Math disability is a real thing, but we never explore people that totally get math and don't get the rest of the world. It is such a great thing because you can tell there are so many moments where I'm like, yeah, she's definitely was an engineer because like math makes perfect sense. It's the rest of the things that don't make sense. My husband is exactly the same way. Well, it's just math. Why can't you just do that? My son and I will be like, we're kind of stumped on this. Can you help us? And it's literally something that probably should take two seconds, 14 pages of pieces of paper and like seven different versions of how to do it later. And we're both still like, no clue. My son will just like walk away and be like, Baba, what the hell? Like literally, it's just a mess. And I'll say, well, why don't you go ask your dad? Maybe ask Baba and he can help you. And he'll be like, no, thanks. I'd rather just fail. (laughs) It's so interesting to see this point of view where like math is nothing. Math is like nothing to this girl. And it's actually her life force, you know, but like figuring out how to deal with these nasty seventh grade girls is going to kill her. Like that is the worst possible thing. It's so confusing to her. And But I think that was the other part of it that I really thought was so powerful is that she basically did just have normal middle grade friend issues that all, no matter how abled you are, all middle schoolers have this in common. Yeah. And I thought that was a great thing to do to not like make her seem so alienated because of her OCD. No. Yeah. Cause she, she, she meshed well after she got in there. I mean, she really jumped right in. She made good friends. I mean, and I also think that this is reflective of current kids. I feel like kids are way more, I mean, I know middle school can still be a struggle. Trust me, I'm not 
trying to say that, but I think there are way more kids out there who've been taught empathy more now, especially through the school system and who are understanding and who aren't freaked out by differences like this. And I thought that was great that they showed that she did make great friends. And I I thought the other interesting thing about this book too, was how she hid her abilities. She didn't want anybody to know she was a genius. Right. And I thought that that is a very girl thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess that might be a little bit sexist of me to say, but I just feel like women would be more likely to hide their talent. To not be judged based on that. Because, yeah. Right. She didn't want the teacher to judge her based on it. She didn't. I mean, honestly, though, I felt like her motivation was very legit because she loved her math teacher and she was afraid if he found out she was advanced in math, he would move her to a different class. Yeah. And I thought that was very legit reason for her to want to try to rein it in a little bit. And he, speaking of that character, I thought he was written really well. Oh, I loved because him. Because he was very big. He was just sort of like, uh, kind of like a, a a beacon that she sort of bounced off of here and there when she needed a little something, he would kind of appear in the book and the opportunity for them to have like a huge relationship would have been there for him to be a mentor would have been there, but it never happened. And I thought that was really great and really smart because he was there as an adult, not as a friend. And I think that that's a big thing that needs to stay, you know, especially, um, especially in middle grade books to be able to say, this is still an adult. He might have things that you have things in common with him, but he's an adult. Right. I thought that was really well written, but he was a really positive model for them. You know, I also thought the English teacher was kind of an interesting character too. Because I hated her. She totally misinterprets what's going on with the main character with Lucy. Um, Lucy in her class gets flustered reading because she's distracted by having to count the words and the letters in the on the page. And so she can read, but she gets her brain kind of freezes because she needs to count everything first. And the teacher is not very understanding or kind to her and assumes that she has a reading disability and kind of pushes her to read more. Which is number one, what they teach you not to do, literally. And I mean, maybe in public school, they do that. But in private school, you would be done. Like You can't force someone to do that. And if you have a, a, a suspicion that they have a reading disability, why would you do that? I hated her. I hated her so much. But I mean, I feel like those are the kind of things that a middle schooler reading this book would understand that sometimes teachers don't get what's going on with you. And especially in middle school, because there's so much, so many levels of what's going on with kids at that age. And a lot, they're starting to become more aware of what's happening in their home and they're having issues of developing friendships and just so much going on at that age that I think that they feel like they are often misunderstood by teachers. And I thought that was great since the other teacher, you know, was sort of her favorite and we got to see him more. I thought that was good to sort of have that counter character as well. I think it was good too, because he was her favorite, not because of who he was, but because of his subject. And I think that was very middle school. And and I loved it when she would be like, he was wrong. That was wrong. He was totally wrong. That problem was wrong. That's not how you do it. But she doesn't say anything because then she's going to blow her cover. Meanwhile, her friend who I totally relate to, she was like, if I was a genius, I'd be telling everybody. Oh my gosh. Her friend was so adorable. I really liked her. I liked how she couldn't keep secrets. She was just a mess. All she wants to do is eat candy, but her mom would let her. But she was, you know, one of those big hearted, like bleeding heart kids who wants to save every animal and stuff. She was so cool. 
I liked her a lot. And their other partner, Levi, with the two moms, who was like, you think you're a freak? Hello. <laughs> I was like, I love him. I loved him. Yeah, I thought that was like really one of the highlights of the book is him pointing out that everybody feels like a freak. You know, why do you think you're special? Everybody feels like a freak right now. So yeah, I thought that was great. I mean, and he he's a kid with two moms and carries around a camera everywhere. But the thing I loved about him too is he didn't let what anyone thought of him change. And I think both of her friends were like that, you know, didn't let what other kids thought change who they were. Yeah. The one thing I can say about this book too, is that like when you sat down with it, you could devour it. It was, and I think a kid would feel the same way. It wasn't one, like a lot of times you read a book and you're like, okay, if I can just get in like two chapters, I'll read two more later or this, this flowed really well. And you didn't feel like anything was dragging. You didn't feel like there was ever a moment where you would, could put it down. You know what I mean? And I think that's a huge for a middle grade book. I felt like I just wanted to keep reading. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh my God, I read half the book. How did this happen? And I'm not a fast reader. It just flows really well. It's just really enjoyable to read. You're not, except for like a couple of moments where you're like, oh, I want something bad to happen. I feel like something bad's going to happen. You don't have any of that. It reminded me of um, uh, Marcus Vega that we read last year. It was like a great warm study in like coming of age and how to come of age when you're a weirdo. And P.S. Oh, we're all weirdos. Right. But they don't know we're all weirdos. They're trying to figure out that they're a weirdo and everybody else is soon going to figure out that they're, you know, that we're all weirdos. So I think it reminded me of like kind of like the girl savant version of that sort of just this like great coming of age self-realization sort of thing and I loved it I also liked it too because it's modern uh, realistic fiction and um, sometimes those can be a little bit too like oh my god what are you wearing like so gossip girly yeah Yeah. and I felt like this was so not that it was so well written it was yeah like you're saying it was just an easy read it just flowed i read planet earth is blue first and i thought Me too. oh no how can you top this but i i think i don't know i'm it's a toss-up for me because i really enjoyed this book and this book was a little bit longer and so i felt like it had a little bit more going on it was a little bit more involved with some of the other things that were happening and I, like i said i just thoroughly enjoyed the ending of this book. I thought it was great. Um, It was what I was hoping would happen. And I was so excited when it did. I wasn't disappointed. Like I could predict it. I thought it was great. It was good. I give it a thumbs up. Me too. The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl by Stacey McAnulty. Check it out. Definitely. So the next one, yes, and I will not sing David Bowie anymore, but you will if you read this book. Am I right? Yes. You can't stop singing David Bowie. So this takes place in the 80s. This Planet Earth is Blue, and that is by Nicole, say it for me. Pantalikos. Pantalikos. Nicole Pantalikos is, this is her first um, middle grade. When you start to look into it and you start reading through, I had to like get the dirt. And I'm like, oh yeah. So she has worked, uh, spent a lot of time working with kids on the spectrum, which is so very clear by the methodology and stuff that she uses. Um, And she's worked a lot in an autism center, which is very clear by the way that she writes the character. So uh, watch yourself, Nicole, we're coming for you and you might become um, on our stalking list, you know, like some of our favorite authors. So, cause we love you. I love you. I think you're brilliant. So Planet Earth is Blue is about a nonverbal autistic 12 year old whose name is Nova. Great name. Right. And her sister named her Supernova. She and her sister, Bridget, um, who are about five years apart. Bridget's about five years older than her. They've been bouncing around foster care for about seven years. That's the gist that we get when the story opens. It's not been good. Obviously, I don't know that anybody has a wonderful ride through um, foster care, but it's not been good. They've gotten 
placed in various homes for various reasons. And um, everybody's always kind of thought that something, you know, they use the R word to de- to describe Nova. Right. Because this is set in the eighties. So yeah. So they say that, you know, there's no hope for her. She's not, she doesn't talk. She doesn't write. She doesn't read. There's nothing. She's not going to be anything but sort of like a waste of space. It's pretty much how her really horrific uh, caseworker describes yes. her. Um, but the girls are very close and her sister Bridget knows that that is not in any way true. And she knows that there's a lot going on in there. She understands Nova. She teaches Nova how to talk, you know, how to say certain words and how to, instead of just grunt, how to be able to say, okay, and things like that. And she taught her her letters and her numbers and she taught her everything when she was little. And she taught her all about David Bowie and she plays David Bowie all the time in her headphones on her Walkman, which we all know is yellow. Yes. The little foamy, uh, with the foamy ear things that hurt, they hurt so bad after you warm. Yes. So one thing that they were really obsessed with this space and they do this game um, a lot where they kind of pretend that they're going into space and Bridget talks her through and then um, they pretend that they're going to the moon um, and they are obsessed with Sally Ride. Bridget wants to become an astronaut like Sally Ride. It's It reminds me of like us when we were young, like, oh yeah, like I'm going to do things that girls have never done before, like mm-hmm. Sally Ride. Um, but Bridget's not around in the beginning of the book. But we also get the just very clearly that Bridget ran away from the last foster home, which is why Nova's in a new foster home. Nova's new foster parents are heavenly. Um, the father is a chef and the, a restaurateur and the mother is a kindergarten teacher, but their kids are all grown except for one daughter that's in college. And they love her and they are, you can really tell from the beginning that they get, they get her and they know that there's something else in there, but she doesn't care because all she really wants is for Bridget to come. Bridget promised that she would be back in time for the Challenger launch so they could see the first school teacher from New Hampshire because they live in New Hampshire, this first school teacher from New Hampshire that goes into space. And those of us that are old all know what happened. And it was a horrific story. We all know what happened to the Challenger, which is why it's such an interesting plot. It's just a really interesting plot. You know, when you pick up the book from the minute that she's like, I can't wait to watch the Challenger launch. You're like, oh, this is not going to end well. (laughs) And you know that from the very beginning. Now, it's interesting because you and I talked about it too. Like if I'm 10... Am I really that clear on it? Does it make, do I make the connection? I don't know. Right. Do I know going in that this is going to happen? I don't, I don't really know. I didn't ask my son because I know he knows because we watched the Challenger documentary on, on Netflix. So, I mean, if you don't have a really nerdy mother that makes you watch documentaries on giant disasters, do you know (laughs) things? I don't know. I don't know. My kids are not those kind of normal children because they have a really nerdy mother who makes them watch disaster movies. Anyway, so as Nova counts down the days to the launch, she slowly begins to let people in and she's still working that Bridget might not show up, but she's got a new teacher who had just returned from sabbatical learning about how to, to teach kids on the spectrum, how to deal with autism. And um, it's, which is very clear because the techniques that she uses are the same ones that I learned. And she starts to come out and she starts to come out of her shell and she makes some friends. She makes a couple, I love her classroom. Oh my God, her friends in her classroom are so great. They are all just amazing. And they all, they some of them flap, some of them jump, some of them sign. I just thought it was like one of those books that I could not even... I couldn't. It was just like my heart was so full watching this. It was like it was like when I uh, watched Love on the Spectrum on Netflix and then I had to call everyone I ever taught autistic kids with ever and say, you have to watch this right now. 
because it was just, it really grasped it. I mean, I spent a lot of time working with autistic kids. I have such a spot in my heart for kids on the spectrum uh, where so many people just don't have the tolerance or the patience or the understanding. I just feel like this should be mandatory reading for anyone who, who is even looking at going into special ed. I agree. It should be 100% mandatory. It's just really well done. She got it. She really got it. You know what I mean? Like she nailed, I think as a, as a former SPED teacher, she nailed it. I think she nailed it. That's awesome. Definitely because you just feel her frustration and not yeah. being able to communicate and to have these worries that are really huge worries for any kid, but yet she can't communicate her feelings. She can't, you know, share what's going on with her. Wow. It was a really powerful story. It is so hard to talk about this book too, because there is a giant, giant spoiler. And it's so hard to talk about it when you know what it is, but it's such an amazingly well done book. Just from a craft standpoint, the way this book was written is genius. Uh-huh. You have present day where she's with her foster family. Within those sections, you have flashbacks to her time with her sister. And her mother. And her mother. And her, basically her whole family story you get. And then you also, it's broken up by this countdown to the challenger within those sections. It's first person POV. By the way, the most of it is third person, but in those sections, it's first person POV and we're inside her head as she's writing letters to her sister talking about the countdown to the challenger takeoff and what's going on with her. So then because the main character in the third person areas can't really express herself because she is autistic, we get these inside her head in these first person letters to know how she's feeling and what's going on and how she's interpreting things. And it was amazing. I thought that was amazing. And a couple of the other things, there was one point where she's imagining and she's using her imagination and she's usually her sister guided their pretend play and she decides, okay, I'm going to try it. And her new foster family gave her a toy box and in the toy box, there was like a helicopter and a Princess Leia and an, and a Luke Skywalker action figure and all these things. And it's like two days until the countdown comes and she drops it and she's the challenger and she's got Christina McCulloch and she's re- obsessed with what's, who's the other guy on the challenger mission that she was obsessed with too. And of course I didn't write it down because that God forbid I'm not organized, but um, so she's pretending to be those two characters and she falls on her bed and she drops it and it smashes. And I was like, that is a stroke of written brilliance because of course what happens that, you know, her Ronald McNair, sorry. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so of course, Ronald McNair is Luke Skywalker and princess Leia is Christina McCullough. And well, they all go flying across the room and she knows. And she says in that moment, like in her head, she's like, that never happens. Bridget never lets them crash. Bridget never lets them crash. I let them crash. And you're like, oh my God. And we are two days until the thing blows up. Now I have to go. I mean, it was a brilliant storytelling. Just, and if, if I'm a kid and I don't quite catch all that, it's just such great crap. But it's like great foreshadowing to warn a child that something big's about to happen. Yeah, it's really well done. The other thing that was so interesting is is that the parents, the new parents, this is how she dealt with the whole race issue, which I thought was really smart and well done. Billy, Billy is the uh, foster father. Billy pointed to the astronaut and physicist, Ronald McNair, who had a mustache like Billy's and the same shade of brown skin. But unlike Billy, Robert McNair wasn't bald. And that's all that's ever said. About their skin color. Her foster sister talks about how like, you know, makes a little conversation about how, you know, well, my mom and I have different color skin and we all look different, but we're all part of the family and you can be a part of the family too. But that's how she did it. And that's I was like, oh God, how smart is that? Just a small hint yep. that we're in a biracial family. And then she's like, but then she pointed to Christina McCulloch, 
who had Francine's light peach skin or complexion and small nose, but she didn't have the same curly hair and bangs and she didn't wear glasses like Christina McCulloch. So it was like, literally you got this, oh, this is great. She's being adopted into this biracial family and there's nothing else said about it. And that's exactly what was, it works so well. When you get to the, like the last third of the book, I'd say you just, it's just a drive. You just can't stop. Absolutely. You want to know what's going to happen, even though you know the Challenger's going down, but so much happens after that, you know? I feel like knowing that the Challenger is going to blow up was what was sort of like driving the rest of it. If you knew that, because you're like, how is this going to end? Right. You know that this bad thing is going to happen. How is it going to wrap up and be okay for her? Because she's so obsessed. I have to say the ending was brilliantly done. And I will warn you as an adult reading this book for the last third, you're going to be crying. I mean, there's so much going on because as an adult, you can see like how sad this situation is. So I just think though, keep that in perspective because a child's not going to get all that sadness because they don't have the adult point of view, the perspective of what we all know is a sad situation. They're not going to get that. They're just going to get the interesting story that's happening to this character. And I think that that shouldn't keep people from letting their children read it. Oh, no way. Yeah. I mean, I was like sobbing, sobbing. I tear up pretty easily anyway, I will admit, but this was like, whoa. But this was the thing though. I think that, and you and I talked about this earlier, that we were this girl in that classroom when they wheeled the cart in on that day. We sat in seventh grade and I remember sitting there wheeling the cart in. We all turned to CNN and exactly how it's laid out in the book. We all sat there. We all watched it. It was, you know, we did exactly the way in the book that they they taught you about it beforehand and we were going to watch Christina McCullough because she was going to give us a science lesson later in the week and we all sat there and watched that thing blow up. So I guess it's sort of like the JFK the same thing. So the kids that sat there in class and watched JFK, the shooting, is it different? Is it more intense for us because we were there? I have a feeling it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think that that's why we had such an intense reaction to it. I always have to go on and see like what the criticisms are, like why people don't like it. And the only thing I really found is people said, I think it's meant for someone older. Like I think older people would enjoy it more. People that understood or people that were there. I don't know if that's true. I think there's such a fascination with younger kids now and the 80s that they really just like we kind of had that fascination with the 60s like oh it would have been really cool to be there then in my mind this is just really good historical fiction yeah right i mean if you if there's a kid who's into history i think they would really like this story i just think it was such a great book and even like there's a couple of things that are like historical inaccuracies and then she addresses them at the end in the back pages she's like yes i realized that it was canceled this day and this day and this day and then it launched this day and in the book i couldn't do that so i was like you go girl smack it down because i think in the book it launches like on a tuesday and it didn't launch it launched on a monday or whatever gosh when you said it's it was more powerful for us i i mean i can still hear the sound of that metal cart. I was in the library. I was in high school. Because you're significantly older than I am, P.S. <laughs> and, you know, I think I had must have had study hall that period. So I was in the library because they were reeling, wheeling in the cart with the t- big old TV on top of it for us to watch. And the grainy pictures. And yes. Yeah. And I have to say, if you are interested, the documentary, the Challenger documentary on Netflix is a really great companion piece to this. And if you, you know, read this with your kids, I think I'll make my kid read this. It does make you hate the whole, there's so many, it, it, it brings up such anger. You're like, they knew, they knew it wasn't going to go. The guy told them, he was like, it's going to blow up. It's going to blow up. And they're like, ah, we got to go. I also think it makes you a little bit angry for how 
autistic kids were treated in the 80s. And I was thinking about this a lot because I remember when I was in grade school, we had a, a student who joined our class for a little while who was autistic. They were trying to incorporate those students in with the mainstream classroom at the time, like they were experimenting with this. And I remember like, it was really eye-opening for, for me and just, just see a different kind of way to be, you know, a different kind of person. And it really brought out a lot of empathy in our class. Cause I remember everyone would make sure she was included in games when we were playing on the playground. And, um, like nobody had to tell us to do that, you know, like everybody was just sort of extra kind to her and extra like inclusive and stuff. And I thought that was really cool, but, and you know, she didn't stay there very long either. So I don't, I, I just feel like they didn't quite know what they were doing back then or they were experimenting with Yeah, them. they because they did used to do that. And then they would be like, oh, maybe this is a bad idea. But then all of a sudden, like a few weeks later, they would cha- change their mind again. Yeah. I love that she goes, she, have some, she and her friend from their class go to home ec. P.S. And then like when she says, just like in the 80s, the girls went to home ec and the boys went to metal shop. Yeah. And the other girls were mean and they were calling them the R word and they didn't want to be with the R word. And man, did they really, those girls, I mean, Nova and her friend, they took care of business and it was awesome. It was awesome. You're like, oh yeah, that was a good move. Okay. It's a great little underdog story. I loved it. I give it again. I, I it was one of the best, one of the best books I have read so far this year, but that was as of last year. I haven't read any yet this year. As of 2020, it was definitely one of the best books I read in 2020. I think we picked some good ones in 2020. Anyway, so I feel like this is a great way to start off the new year because these were two wonderful books, really important books. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're important, but they were also just really fun to read. Oh, total page turners. Both of them. Quick reads because you can't put them down. So next up on our pick six, what are we going to do? I'm so excited about this. I know. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to chat about the documentary Class Dismissed. It's a film about learning outside of the classroom, i.e. homeschooling, which we've both been doing for a while now. So we thought we'd talk about it. So we'll be back in a minute. you found this documentary and you shared it with me. I mean, it's not new, right? No, it's from 2016. And I had written this down, you know, like you do when you're old and you can't remember things. So you write little post-its everywhere like, oh, remember this. <laughs> now, I sometimes I put it on my phone, but then I don't look at my phone notes for like two years. And I'm like, huh, should have watched that. But I did write this down and it was on a homeschooling site that someone had recommended it, that it was such a great one for new homeschoolers or people just getting into this. And I was getting ready to revamp and sort of prepare for us going in because this is my first year homeschooling. This is like my 20 something year teaching, but this is my first year teaching my own kids. So I kind of felt like, oh, I really could use um, like a boost. You know what I mean? Like I need a little boost. So I'll watch this documentary. I was probably like, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes into it. And I'm literally like texting you. Oh my God, you have to go. Oh my God, you have to watch this. Yes. You have to watch this. Because it's not at all what I expected. It's sort of about this. It's called, again, it's called Class Dismissed, uh, a film about learning outside of the classroom. And it was directed by Jeremy Stewart. It's about sort of like this family that is just figuring out that homeschool is a possibility, which is exactly where I was. I'm like, oh, my God, I could do this. Uh, My favorite quote that the mom said at the beginning, she's like, it was so liberating. We felt like we no longer had to be compliant and obedient to a system that wasn't serving us. And I was like, 100%, 100%. But it's not this like, hey, let's all go run into the woods and raise our children together and and teach them about 
you know, Jesus and homeschool them so they are away from the horrors of the world. It was more about these parents who were like, our kids are like fading away. We are losing them. They don't have that thrill. They don't have that like thirst for knowledge that they had before. What is wrong? They're feeling anxiety. They're sad. They're grumpy. They're miserable. And so let's look at what our alternatives were. Yeah. I mean, they basically interview people. I mean, they do interview some people who are obviously on board with homeschooling from the very beginning, but they also talk to people who are like, oh, this wasn't even on our radar. This isn't something we thought. This is something our kids push for. And we decided, hey, we don't want our kids to be miserable. So yeah, let's figure this out. There's a family at the beginning that you kind of follow along on their beginning process of this. And it was exactly like I went through with my son. And I kind of asked him if he minded if I talk a little bit about it because he had been asking me for a while to homeschool and, um, and he's only child though. So, you know, me and I loved school. I mean, I have my master's degree. I would love to get my PhD. Like I love school and I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. Like I didn't understand. And there's the mom, there's one point where the older daughter, who's like an eighth grader, I think in the documentary, she's saying, mom, please, I just hate it. It's not fun. I, you know, all this stuff she was whining about. And her mom's like, well, but other kids are fine. Don't you think if you tried a little bit harder, yeah. changed your attitude, you might feel better about it? And I'm like, I, I made my son watch that because he was like, oh my gosh, yes. You said that same you thing. You said that. I was going to say, you used to say the same thing. Or my favorite part was when the mom at that same section said, we bought this house in the most expensive town and we paid so much for our house because it had the best school district. You did that. And then I did that in your town. (laughs) I know. I know I did. I did that. We are in the best town for education in the whole state. Yes, we did. And then because she did that, I did that. I know. And we moved there because of my son. I know. And then your little one had a hard time. It was a mess. Yeah. I would not knock the school system where I live. It's fantastic. My son had fantastic teachers, like all through grade school and everything. But I also, this is so interesting because all this sort of converged at the same time, because I also recently read an article from Psychology Today that was talking about how the fight or flight thing in some bodies it's just registers easier. And and then it comes out in anxiety. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I think that's exact. Like when you say to your child, well, other kids are fine. Why aren't you? I mean, this is what's happening with them. They're just registering this anxiety. They're just getting these higher levels of this fight or flight happening in their bodies that they can't control. And it's, and it's like, oh, right. When I read that article is like, just opened my eyes to so many things because I'm like, yeah, that's what was going on. He was feeling this anxiety, even though my kids super so social, you know, had tons of friends, liked his teachers. It wasn't any of that. It was just, he was feeling this anxiety that he couldn't figure out. And I mean, since we started homeschooling, totally gone. And I think another thing that that documentary talked about, which was so fantastic was the de-schooling period. It's so important. After you pull them out of school to give them time to just like reset and explore their, um, 
interests and figure out, you know, just like, and plus like, and I did not do this, by the way, I'm going to say, and I wish that I had, because I think that also would have been a good time for me to get out of my own head about what school is and how school Mm -hmm. has to happen. And I think it would have been better for us because basically what I did was just find an alternative, like where he's taking the exact same classes he would have been taking in school, but he's taking them online. But now in my defense, my son is 17. So he, there are classes that he will need to take if he wants to go to college. But then there's also this whole other philosophy that none of that matters. That's where we, yeah, we tend to fall more into the unschooling. Yeah. Yeah. Which I find fascinating. I wish I could be more like that. I was definitely like the mom in the documentary where I'm like, I need, you know, I need to know that their structure and I need to know that he's getting what he needs to move on and all this stuff. Yeah. I really wish that I could go back 10 years and just like redo it all. But I'm so happy that these options are out there now. I mean, honestly, I'm a preschool teacher at a school that focuses on child-led learning, self-directed learning. And how I let my son get so far away from that, but the older he got, I don't know. I don't know why it's easy for me to apply that to preschool, but not apply that to high school. I don't know why either, because it's so natural and you're so progressive in so many ways, but it's so funny that you said that because as I was watching it, I'm like, oh my God, this woman is had there. Like she really was because the first day she pulls them out of school, she sits them down at the table and starts doing this ridiculous French lesson. And they're like, oh my God, what have we gotten into? She's just recreating school at the kitchen table. And while that is a method of homeschooling, it's not the same like philosophical concept. So like unschooling, like child-led learning, like learning outside of the books, learning outside of the classroom, that's what it's meant to be. And that's progress, like progressive education and like John Holt's methodology, that sort of stuff. So when we, when I watched this, I was like, this is such anybody that's even considering homeschooling should watch this documentary because it explores all the different kinds from the Charlotte Mason, which is usually pretty religious based classical approach to this sort of like, uh, want to learn math by video games, unschool kind of thing, like, and everything in between. And you could see it was so great that the mom kind of searched out these different things because she was spinning. You could see yeah, she was she like, was. Oh my God, yeah. I don't know what she wanted, what's best for her kids. She definitely wanted and to do what was best for them, but she was so overwhelmed by all the possibilities or even like the lack of structure, I think is what really threw her. You watch them for a year, basically, and their their viewpoints and decisions change drastically throughout. And they're like on a roller coaster. They basically at one point did kind of what I did where they hooked up with a program and then just tried to follow that, which was sort of like an online school. And then the oldest daughter, it's interesting too, because I felt like she also probably needed to do two different things because her two children wanted, like the younger one did like the structure of having the online school where the older one didn't. So it's like, there's also that, like you have freedom to teach whatever each of your children needs too which is amazing. Just to watch her anxiety, I was like, oh, hello, mama. You and I are exactly the same. Yeah, I feel you, girl. (laughs) And I mean, I've only got one year left of homeschooling and I'm starting to feel like, gosh, I really blew this opportunity. (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't. You did it when you did it. And that's what's important. So for me watching this, I was more focused on the pedagogy because my originally, when I first started teaching, I went into Montessori. I went from Montessori into Quaker schools, which are all project-based learning, hands-on learning. I went from that, I taught in a very similar school in Turkey. I taught in a similar school like that in all over. Everywhere I've taught, I've taught in those kind of schools. When we moved to Indiana, that was the first time I'd ever gone into public schools. 
and I worked at, um, in ESL in a public school in Indiana. And I was like, that was even an elementary school. And I'm like, wow, I haven't been in public school for years. And this is broken. This is so, so broken. And I remember I was working with level one Chinese ESL students. And I'm like, you can't even deal with a first grader who cannot speak the language yet. And you're just uh, like in this tizzy of how to get them to pass their standardized tests so you can get your funding. And the poor child can't even say, where's the bathroom? I thought we have so many problems. But I remember that principal telling me, he's like, if that kid doesn't do well on this standardized test, we'll lose funding. And I'm like, he just needs to pee. Are you kidding? And then when I worked in Indiana, I worked in a school in Indianapolis where the kids that were were special ed kids that had been done wrong, really wrong by the public system came to try to get fixed. And then I was just so done. I was like, oh my God, what a mess. One of them who was really autistic and a wonderful, wonderful kid. He was nonverbal. He was in a room by himself most of the time. I mean, this is a terrible thing. What's the point? Right. Because that's public school. We have to serve everyone. The same thing here. The second time I moved into, I thought, oh, Massachusetts is the number one state for public education. This is going to be great. And I was horrified at the things I saw in the middle school. And that's why I had no qualms pulling my son out when I made the decision. I'm like, he's not learning anything. He's miserable. He's unhappy. They're all miserable and unhappy. There's like great stuff to, to learn at this age. And they're not covering any of it because they're teaching to the test. In teacher's defense, they're miserable with it too. Oh, totally. In that documentary, I thought that was the best thing where they're like, we're in a time where parents know what's happening is bad. Teachers know what's happening is bad. Administrators know what's happening is bad, but there's nothing anybody could do about it because they have these guidelines that they have to follow to get their funding. Yeah. And it, it's bad. It's really bad. And, you know, I, so and in total, I think I've made it through public school for a total of two years out of 25. And that's all I could handle. And I thought, why would I put my kids through this? And when my little one began falling really behind and and everybody had to do online learning and he couldn't sit still long enough to do online learning. And I would, when they started, moved to online learning and I saw what they were doing, I was like, oh, this is a disaster. Then when they were going back to school and everybody had to wear masks, I was like, okay, you just forced my hand because first of all, my kid's deaf and reads lips and you're all wearing masks. There's nothing's coming. He's going to, it's going to be a wash. So you know, that was, we just had hard conversations. And in my mind, I'd always wanted to homeschool him. The old one was fine, but he also, he's like, academically, he's really strong. He's, you know, that's, it wasn't a concern about that. The little one is just a mess. The other thing is he's really young for his grade because we, in Indiana, he didn't meet the cutoff. When we moved to Massachusetts, he met the cutoff. So suddenly he had just turned five and they shoved him in kindergarten got learning issues because he's got one ear and he can't hear. And now he's in kindergarten a year earlier than he was planning to go. He was just a disaster. So when we saw the opportunity and I was like, if we can make this happen, I'm doing it. There was no looking back for me. I mean, I've always wanted to do this. It's so hard though. Do you, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that the moms are saying, like, it's just so hard on the parent that teaches. Part of it is too, is that you have to think of everything. Like there's so much stuff that you don't realize the school gives you a heads up on like, oh, SAT stuff and all the college prep stuff. They kind of give you a lot of heads up on that stuff. And now you have to think of everything and like, make sure that you're following a curriculum that colleges are going to be okay with if he wants to go to college, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I kept telling him like, I I want him to have options, even though we're homeschooling, you know, so I wanted to make sure that we're doing stuff that colleges are requiring. But did you catch that guy though? I thought that was 
fabulous. That was my favorite part when he's like, the, they interviewed those two kids that had been homeschooled all the way. They tried high school. Then they were like, yeah, that's where people are really unhappy there, mom. And then they came back home. And he said that colleges really do want homeschoolers because they want to learn. Yeah. It's so rare that they have kids that still want to learn. Just thought that that was like nailed it on the head, like thinking that's what progressive education is. It's about thinking, planning, keeping your love of learning. And that's not what public education does to them. Yeah. The love of learning thing is huge. I mean, obviously at preschool, that is my one goal. I always say that I want kids to love school and love learning. And that's, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, that's where they're at. And that's very, very important thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They talk a lot about uh, John Holt. And if you're interested in, he was sort of the father of of the unschooling movement. He was really sort of this father of teach your own homeschooling as we know it today, not the sort of like homeschooling little house in the prairie version, mm-hmm. but sort of like the, the modern day homeschool movement. So if you really want to know some more information, um, how children fail is one of his most famous books. And that's something you should check out. Also uh, Pat Ferenga, he's part of, he trained with John Holt and he's a really, he's like the, like a godfather in, um, progressive ed and sort of child-led learning, um, growing without schooling is his, uh, is what Holt Associates, he's the president of Holt Associates here in Boston and um, growing, it's called GWS, uh, Growing Without Schooling. He's got a terrific blog that kind of discusses a lot of these topics. Um, If you really are interested in homeschooling, every state, I believe our state has a huge homeschooling network in the minute that we have very, very strict laws in Massachusetts about it. And you have to jump through a lot of hoops to homeschool. And the minute that you get it stuck in a hoop, you call them in and they help you right away. They were wonderful. Literally, I got stuck in a big hoop and he told me just exactly how to get out of it. Um, And he said, you can either fight it or you could just write down these numbers and give it to him and call it a day. (laughs) And I was like, that's exactly what we, that's that's the kind of leadership I need in my life. (laughs) You can fight it or you could just cheat. Go. Yeah. In Indiana, there's, it's, there's nothing. All you have to do is make sure that you're teaching your child 180 days. So I just keep a calendar and I say, write school on the days that we do. So he does school and that's it. That's all you have to do. So that's why I was a little bit extra stressed because I was like, obviously I want to have higher standards than that, but. Because you had to develop curriculum. Yeah, we turn our curriculum in and everything. Yeah, yeah. What all your materials, how many hours for each subject. And but they but they had the thing too, like the subjects you're not limited to. So like my boys, one of their subjects, one of my older sons doing he's doing culinary arts because he loves to cook and he's learning. And you know, that right there, that's math and science and chemistry and all kinds of things, following directions and reading, everything is in there. My um both of them are learning Turkish as their foreign language. Oh, by the way, my son wants to join that class if that's possible. He'd like to learn Turkish too, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so convenient. But it is funny because now when their grandmother does call, they do actually get a little bit going, and then she goes off the rails and she starts talking really loud and really fast. And I'm like, "Rein it in, Babane." That's table. Just look at me, like I don't know any of the words she's saying to me right now. And I'm like, "You do," but she's just so excited that she's like, "Oh." So it's, it's good. The one thing, my favorite part of the whole movie though, is that every time they went to go visit other homeschoolers, I felt so validated. Those houses were a disaster. And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Well, like you said, you're spending a lot of your time teaching, so you don't have as much time to do the other things that you would normally do. But that's, I mean, I thought that one of the things that the anxiety mom who I could relate to had to say about that was that we're, 
having a different relationship with our children now. That's what I love. hundred percent. And that, what made it worth it. Yeah. And I thought that is so true. Like I used to be sad when my son was gone all day at school. Like I would miss yeah. him. And, and, you know, we didn't have freedom to go if we wanted to go take off and do something, you know, we had to go around the school schedule and now it's fantastic. We can do whatever we want. Although, you know, pandemic, but right. you know, once Good that's timing. over. Yeah. <laughs> but the nice thing too, is that like, she was saying like, wow, we don't have to do it only on Monday. And we do that all the time. We're like, oh, we're going to take Thursday and Friday off. So let's do our reading on Saturday afternoon. And oh, know, yeah, whatever. And it doesn't matter. And even if you're going like we, we go to the beach all the time, as you know, we're always at the beach. But um, every time we go to the beach, we take our, you know, like we, if we don't take our, our like our nature journals or something, it's all learning all the time, because it's always fun. And it's like, it's just that sort of unveiled learning. Like we can mm-hmm. talk about this and then it, well, we want to know more than we Google it when we get mm-hmm. home or whatever. And it's just, it's just a better way of learning. But the one guy, I think he had calculated it down to like how many hours you get before your kid turns 18 and how many of those hours they spend at school. And, and that's really hard to look at because especially I think, even though we joke that the pandemic's been miserable for a lot of us, but we're really used to spending time with our kids now. Oh, yeah. I mean, for us, it was no big deal because my husband, we both work from home anyway. It was pretty easy. And my son was already doing online learning. We didn't really have to adjust our life at all. But imagine like all of a sudden in a couple of months, something changes and you're going to start after a year, you're sending your kid back to school full time. I think a lot of people are going to be like, whoa. I miss them. I really, you get really used to like, I think the pandemic has made the family unit tighter. And, mm-hmm. and when it's going to be time to send kids back to school, plus in middle school and high school, I don't, I'm sure that your son's the same way. Like when they came back from school, they're gone for six or seven hours a day. And then he's got three hours of homework. Oh, sure. And, and is tired and grumpy and doesn't want to hang out. Like now he'll, you know, work on his homework for a little bit or work on his classes for a little bit. Come chat with me for a while. We'll talk about whatever he's learning or whatever he wants to talk about. I mean, and he also, I mean, I know that I sort of have the strict, like you have to take these classes thing going on, but he also is has the freedom to spend time learning whatever he wants. Like yeah. he's really into trigonometry and all that kind of stuff. And he hasn't even, he's taken that class this semester, but he hadn't taken it yet. He taught himself a bunch of stuff and he's taught himself French. He's so, he's quite fluent in French, which is very impressive. And the and Turkish he, will be easy because they're connected. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, I was going to say too, like I, about the documentary, like um, they went to that village home learning community in, um, I think it was in Oregon, but I thought that was really interesting. I actually looked them up and I encouraged other people to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't Oregon. It wasn't, it was like outside of Portland or something, wasn't it? Yeah. And I looked them up online. It's a fascinating place. And right now because of the pandemic, they're offering all their classes online. So really? Yeah. And it's so cool. Ooh, and they have them kind of broken down by like larger age groups, but you can choose. Um, we'll, we'll link. Can we link it in the show notes? Yeah, I will definitely link it in the show notes. And the other thing too about the documentary that I want, and they do like mixed age learning and all kinds of stuff. And they interviewed the kids in that documentary and they seemed so cool. I thought they were fascinating kids, but they're all homeschooled kids. And then that's just basically like a learning center where you could Mm -hmm. go, like if you just want to take one class or you, so this is the the reason that I love that place was because my son, since, you know, he's sort of obsessed with like schooling and how to do it better now because he thinks a lot about education and how it can be done better. He really does. And he came up with this idea that high school should be all choice. 
I like, agree. You have a learning center that you go to and like, oh, by the way, this class is going to be taught at this time if you want to go to this class. And it's so funny because again, my, you know, crazy uptight mom came out and I was like, but then kids wouldn't go. What would they do if they could choose to hang out with their friends? Wouldn't they do that? And he's like, well, they should have those options too. Like they should have areas where they can socialize. But he was like, that's just old thinking though, because if they had the choice of something they wanted to learn, of course, they're going to go to that class. It's actually a very, that's actually a very, um, it's a, I can't think who did it. It is, it's a common thought process for high schooling. And there's yeah. a couple of them that have done it in the country successfully. I want to say Beaver Country Day does that, but I have to double check that. And a couple of other progressive schools have done that. And um, it is like basically applying the concept of college to right, high school. Exactly. Where you get to choose. Yeah. That's what I thought. It kind of does sound like college where you pick your classes and then, but he was saying that he felt like it should even be more like if that day you decided you didn't want to go to that class because there was another class you'd rather go to, you could do that. Yeah. You know, like where you weren't like locked into going to that same class all the time. And I thought that that was kind of fascinating because it completely takes away from how we normally like I was like well how would you know that what you learned how would you be tested and I was like how would the teachers know that they were teaching you anything if you could just get up and walk out of that class whenever you wanted and go to a different one you prove it by doing it yeah and so instead of having tests maybe you have a consultation with the teacher almost like a thesis thing in college where you just sit down with them and you tell them what you know yeah that's how progressive schools work I never gave tests except when I had to, if I, we didn't have tests at my old school or you would have an option. You say, okay, you can take a test written, an oral discussion about the subject, or you can do a project that shows me your knowledge. All you have to do is show me your understanding. That's the concept of heart. That's the heart of it. That's why that's the way it should be. And honestly, that is how more like life is. Like if you have a job you're going to, you know, show what you know by through presentations or through meetings. And, you know, it just makes that's so smart. Anyway, it's so cool. Um, And then the other thing I want to share as they interview Ken Robinson, I think I think that's his voice that shows up in that documentary. And he does amazing TED Talks. I found him like five or six years ago and fell in love with him. He's a British educator who does uh, who's really into like creativity and how how to teach creativity and stuff like that. He's he he also is part of this sort of unschooling movement that he he likes to promote that kind of concepts too. So anyway, you should check him out as well. I have to say, I just, you know, humble brag. I have a few friends that um, from, you know, my hippy dippy communities over the years in many different states and um, all of their kids that they homeschooled. I talked to all of them before I started this process and some of them, um, one of them's son is working on his PhD, went all the way through. You know, and I mean, but he graduated from college when he was like 14 or 15. I mean, I don't know. I just have seen such great things come out of it. And I always like the progression of the educator in me always wanted to just say, screw the system because it's broken. And I'm very thankful that the pandemic gave me the opportunity to say, screw the system. It's broken. And again, we're in the same boat as many people like the, will my older son go back? Maybe it's up to him. You know, we'll talk about it when it's time, but the younger one has no interest in going back. He's your, he's your shadow anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, it does make me sad, though, because I feel like I wish that we could change the system so it wasn't broken because there are so many people who don't have the option to say, screw the system. And I, I feel like, you know, if they're worried about children getting left behind, 
that's what's going to happen because all the people who are able to pull their kids out will start doing it, which we've already seen that. And the pandemic is only going to affect that more, I think, because when people see what their kids are going through with online learning and what they're learning, and they're just like, no, forget this. But that leaves behind. And even with the school closings, we saw that argument this year because there are kids who really rely on the school for all these social issues like food and clothing and support and being away from dangerous situations for six hours you know, or seven hours. So um, that's where it's going to start drawing a line again and kids are going to still be left behind significantly. So, oh yeah. And I think that had I not spent all these years and years and years teaching this way, even for that, even though I have been a teacher all these years, I was still a nervous wreck about pulling my own kids out. You're so afraid that they're going to miss things. They're going to miss opportunities. But at the end of the day, you just have to jump and whatever you feel is best. You just have to jump. And there are moments, my God, this week, or like right before last week, I was like, I think I suck at this. And my husband's like, what's wrong with you? Like, why? I'm like, you still have those moments of utter doubt where you're like, well, I don't know, maybe they're not learning anything. <laughs> and then they build like electric cars and shoot them across your kitchen floor. And you're like, all right, we covered that. So that's good. All right. I guess I got something out. Let's keep going. I also think that it's just human nature to worry about things instead of thinking of what you're going to gain by doing this. You think about what you're going to lose. Yeah. And I think if you just switch your focus and think, what is my kid going to gain? And obviously I feel like, I mean, mine was started because my child's asking for this, you know, and, and I felt like, well, you were losing him. He was not the yeah. same happy go lucky self. Like no. just like so many people, you lose them. You, I was losing mine. Like I could see his, he was just miserable, just unhappy. And I feel like that's your clue. It takes some bravery to just trust them and listen to what they're telling you. They're telling you what they need. And, and that is hard because you think, gosh, why are you different from all these other kids? But but it doesn't matter. None of those other kids matter. The yeah. only kid that matters is your kid. And 90% of those other kids are really miserable too. Oh my gosh. When my son started homeschooling, all of his friends were like, uh, same, <laughs> I'm miserable too. Same for mine. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> all of his friends are like, oh, can your mom homeschool us too? So it's good. It is definitely a great documentary. And, you know, if you like this, let us know because we have, I have other documentaries that we could talk about from the, you know, the parenting perspective, the pedagogy perspective, all that kind of stuff. I think it would be, it would be great to cover more of this. I agree. Yeah. And that documentary is again, was called Class Dismissed and it was on Netflix. No, it's on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah. It's on Amazon. You can get it free on Prime. Wow. So that was a really great chat. Thanks, Marty. No, it was great. I love it. Anytime, anytime. Uh, you know, I like to talk about my uh, weirdo, my weirdo theories. And you always like push me to try to be a weirdo. <laughs> yes. You push me to be a weirdo. No, I'm already a weirdo. You don't have to push me. On our that. weirdo levels are different. That's what works so well. <laughs> our, our levels of weirdo like are totally different. Like you like sci-fi. I like like zombie lesbian drag queens or something like that. So when we combine, we make a perfect match because our love, we're both absolute weirdos. But what we <laughs> where where that weirdoness rears its head is so very different. <laughs> Yes, it makes life much more interesting. It does. So, it does. So, um, what are we doing for the next episode? All right. Of the new so, year? for our next episode, we're going to read a little something, something by this writer that I like to stalk, speaking of weirdos, uh, named Heather Kaufman Peters. 
And we are going to read Blizzard on the Plains, which I am so psyched to do this one because Heather wrote this when we were in grad school together, when we met, when I still have my little baby nugget in my belly. So I think it's really awesome to be able to do this in our winter theme to talk about your book. And I'm going to grill you and then I'll stalk you because I know where you live. And then uh, we're also going to read the book Icefall by Matthew Kirby. And that was your pick because you judged the book by its cover. I know. It looks so (laughs) fun. It's It's a fantasy novel, I think. So I can't wait to read it. Which is good. And uh, they're all, you know, cold weather. So yeah. since, we're, since I'm stuck here in gray Indiana. Yes. Yeah. And I'm here in <laughs> with snow coming up to my butt cheeks in uh, <laughs> Massachusetts. So um, I guess we'll wrap it up then. Thanks so much for joining us today. And if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out what's happening in our worlds, um, we have a very active, honestly, God, we do have a very very active uh, Instagram page and we get a lot of a lot of fun stuff on there and that is on Instagram at Two Lit Mamas Podcast. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook on Two Lit Mamas and of course on our website where you can also download episodes of each podcast and um, get all of our show notes and all the goods and that's at twolitmamas.com. So happy new year. Let's hope to God it's better than last year but I keep my expectations low then I'm not going to be disappointed. That's wise. All right. Have a great one. Bye. Thank you. Bye.